I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Snyder writes, draws, and lives in Wichita, Kansas. His first book, The Shape of Ideas, is a personal exploration of the joys and frustrations of the creative process. His work has appeared in the New York Times Book Review, The New Yorker, The Kansas City Star, The Best American Comics 2013, and Across the Internet, the popular strip Incidental Comics. Following The Shape of Ideas, he wrote, I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf, I love that title, and The Art of Living. In his day job, Grant works as an orthodontist. You can often find him carrying a sketchbook lost in his own thoughts. Welcome, Grant. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. You're an orthodontist. And just in this last season, I've interviewed, I think, three or four other physicians, plus Maisie Eddings, who is a fourth-year dental student. I'm like, how do these people find time to do all this? So I'm curious, with your initial career being such a big commitment, how do you find time to create these books? So I had an interesting path to both of them in that I didn't quite know, (laughs) starting out, I wanted to be an orthodontist or a cartoonist, author, illustrator, and I figured it both out at about the same time. (laughs) So around the time I was studying teeth and you know, all the fun things that go along with being in dental school. I say fun in quotes here. <laughs> <laughs> I was drawing cartoons and figuring out that I love to do that as well. So it wasn't like I ever had to choose. I, I chose them both at the same time, but it was always a bit of a challenge to find time for both and not neglect either. Early on, I would draw on like a Saturday. So make a whole pot of coffee, draw a single comic strip because I was drawing comics only at the time in one day. And that was fun sometimes and exhausting most of the time. <laughs> when my daughter was born, when I was in orthodontic residency, I realized, okay, that's going to have to change. <laughs> so I started to force myself to wake up early, became a morning person against my better judgment and would find these little chunks of time, most weekday mornings and strung enough of those together. You can make a book, you can make basically anything you want if you're keeping in that consistent routine. Now I've taken a little bit of a easier schedule for that. I work three days a week at my orthodontic job, two days a week as an author, illustrator, cartoonist. So it's a nice, healthier balance than it has been. <laughs> I'm sure your family appreciates that. Yeah. Although I currently work in my son Logan's room. He's six. And so we, we kind of share a space. And I think he gets mad when my drawing pages and, and writing papers kind of go over to his side of the room. And <laughs> But it's also cool because sometimes he'll scribble on you know, a piece of paper on my desk and I can see his drawings and his creativity in my workspace. But does he also like to draw? Yep. So it's really cool for me to see my own kids and their art. They all have very different interests and personalities and are quite a bit different than what I (laughs) do and and like as far as uh, books and writing and drawing. But yeah, I just love seeing their creativity develop. And yeah, it's it's really inspiring all the time. When you're in school and someone sits next to you in class and they're that person that likes to draw and stuff, were you that person in school? For sure. Yeah. So I, I think I was always taking notes, but drawing as I was doing it. So some people would type on a laptop for notes later on, but I would always have like a pen or pencil and paper. And even if I'm writing down something serious, it would sometimes turn into a joke or a little drawing. And if I was really bored with the lecture, 
don't tell the professors this, but I would just draw something unrelated completely. But <laughs> I, I do think uh, for most people who have that visual and artistic side of things, doodling actually helps them engage more with the material rather than space out. Interesting. Um, yeah. So if you see me at a professional meeting and I'm sitting in the back and sketching, I'm probably actually paying closer attention than I'd otherwise be. Your book we're going to talk about is The Art of Living. I took a, a seminar in grad school called The Art of Creativity, and a guy had us look at things differently. But he told a story about how when he was in school, everybody was supposed to color this pre-printed rabbit. And they called his mother because his had blood dangling from the big gnarly teeth. He had drawn outside the lines. And so were you the guy, you know, colored in the lines? Because your artwork looks very tidy. I think maybe a little bit of both. I was very studious. And if somebody gave me an assignment, I would certainly stick right to that, you know, not draw things. On, uh, rabbits. <laughs> like, That's a great story. Um, at the same time, I, I think I was always looking for ways to kind of subvert that or, or put my own twist on it. So I really wanted people to see, okay, I, I have this creative urge. I, I think I'm really good at drawing or at least really enjoy it. I always wanted to kind of show that off to people. I had another like really big asset in that growing up and that I have a, a twin brother named Gavin, who's also very into art and writing. And so we could be really competitive in it. So not just competing in sports and, and academics, we would also compete to see who could do the best painting or drawing or, or be the most creative. So yeah. And, and I think uh, some of that was bending the rules of the assignment a little bit. I had this great art teacher named Rich Canfield at, at Mulvane High School where I grew up. And what I loved about his assignments was he would give very specific instructions, almost weird details. But once you had his instructions in the assignment, there was no like right answer. There was he, he never said, oh, this is really good. He never said, oh, this is really bad. He would see what you did with the prompts he gave you and he'd ask you questions about it. And I always thought that was really cool. I never knew, okay, does he like my stuff? Does he think it's <laughs> better than last time, worse than last time? I don't know, but he's asking these really interesting questions about my art and making me think about it in a different way than I otherwise would have. For both you and your twin to be so creative, were your parents creative? Did they foster that in, in oh, your Oh, absolutely, voice? yeah. <laughs> to the point of like making us draw birthday cards and Christmas cards and other, other cards for all of our extended family. And <laughs> I think at some point we realized we were being, you know, turned into cheap labor and maybe rebellion <laughs> instead of it. <laughs> but no, that was really cool because they always were very supportive. They're very creative in their own way. My dad does woodworking. Both my parents do gardening. My mom is very crafty and, and our artistic you know, not, not in a traditional like painting and drawing sense, but yeah, they both have that, I would say creative and craftsman discipline that I definitely saw a lot of growing up. When did you know, I can't walk another day without putting down roots as an artist? I already committed to my one comic strip or one comic page per week back pretty much after I left college. And I had been keeping in that routine, but always had this fear of like, okay, am I going to get so busy with other things in life that I'll have to drop that, you know, because nobody's really making me do that. I wasn't necessarily drawing for anybody but myself and this kind of imagined online audience. <laughs> but when I realized, okay, I, I think I made it. <laughs> I was sitting in my growth and development lecture in orthodontic school and I sent an email to the New York Times book review saying, hey, I like this piece. I'd seen a great strip by Wendy McNaughton that I responded to and said, I'd, I'd like to do something like that. Here's some of the stuff I've done previously. Could I submit to you guys? And pretty soon they responded back. I almost jumped up and down got a, a couple of strips signed up and published. And I thought, okay, I've made it. The next step is fame and fortune and <laughs> a published book and all this other stuff. Obviously that was not the case, but <laughs> that's when I thought, okay, maybe I can take this a bit further than I thought I would be able to. How does writing compare with caring for patients? I think they're both best done when you're attentive to one thing and you know not anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of the comic strips in the art of living, including like the chapter organization is about 
paying attention, which in the artistic world is the most difficult thing to do because you're faced with that blank page, whether it's a empty word document, a piece of paper, a blank canvas, everything else in the world wants to pull you away from that empty space you have to fill with your your thoughts and your words and your, your pictures. And then when I'm working at my day job as an orthodontist, looking at somebody's smile, figuring out how I can solve certain problems. If I'm thinking about something else, <laughs> if my full attention is not there, they're not going to get the best care. I'm not going to do the best job and the result's not going to be as good. So both things, it's a very big struggle, especially with social media, with my smartphone in my pocket, which with a busy... <laughs> family life and all the other things. But when I'm able to be most attentive, I think I'm a a better orthodontist and artist as well. Well, I can see how orthodontia would require a bit of creativity. In a way, yeah, it's more, I I consider it more like playing chess. So there's certain rules and parameters and you, you have different ways to solve things, but you have to figure out the best move to make next, the best way to plan things out over time. So you end up where you want to be quite a bit different in my mind than starting to write and draw a book or, or working on a comic strip, but they do both require yeah, planning detail and an artistic eye as well. When you start to get an idea for a new book, where do you go with it? So that's the most fun part for me because the possibilities are truly endless. Um, the only really parameters for my comics is it needs to fit on one or two pages, ideally be shareable in a book in the future or on the phone screen if I'm posting to Instagram or Facebook. For a picture book, it needs to fit 32 pages or 40 pages. It needs to have page turns in a certain style or or, or voice, but there are just so many ways to go. And, and that's exciting for me. I think if I could never make it past the part where <laughs> I have all these awesome ideas before I put them down on paper, that would be just pure joy for me. It's when I actually sit down and have to say, okay, here's this amazing idea. Now let's see if it really is going to bear fruit. That's when some of those creative anxieties set in. I think I'm taking your question in a little bit different way, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the process just... is, is starting with all these wonderful uh, fragments of ideas in my sketchbook and on kind of auditioning them to see, okay, which one's actually going to have legs to, for me to spend a lot of time and energy and effort to work on it over the course of a day, a week, a month, sometimes even up to half a year or a year. Do you sketch, create, just kind of like, no boundaries sketching and then decide on a theme for the book or vice versa? It depends on the actual story and, and how it works out. But I think it all basically starts with my sketchbook. So I'm carrying around a sketchbook pretty much everywhere to, to the point of annoyance of my friends and family. And I'll make little doodles or I'll, I'll write down fragments of an idea or I'll draw an interesting bird I saw on a walk over lunch. And then I always go back to that sketchbook and I see, okay, well, here's the start of something Let's see where I can go with that. For my children's picture books, when they've worked really well, I've taken that fragment of an idea, sat down and had the complete experience of the story in the book in really one afternoon or one sitting. That's rare. I mean, it only happens once or twice a year, if that. <laughs> but when it when an idea comes out fully formed like that, you know, it's, it's a pretty amazing part of the process. It can take like six months. Is that right? Is that what you said? For, for a children's book, probably six months to a year. And that's mm-hmm. a picture book of 32 to 40 pages. For my comics collections, which are The Art of Living, the new one, um, The Shape of Ideas, which came out about five years ago, and then I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf, which came out smack dab in the start of the pandemic. <laughs> um, those are probably three to five years worth of weekly comics collected and organized on a theme. So those really take quite a bit longer, but they're all done piece by piece. Interesting. Prior to the beginning of your writing career, 
Were there movies or or novels or television shows that made you want to do what you're doing now? You know, since I work with words and pictures, definitely comics, children's books, and poetry were really the big things for me. I'm a fan of movies and animation and things like that, but I don't feel like it very much influenced my work. I can go back and remember reading Calvin and Hobbes in the newspaper as a kid and, and just being in love with with that strip and the and the collections of them that we had on our shelves. And that's, that was a big influence for me. Dr. Seuss, <laughs> just the, uh, the, the wittiness and the wordiness of his rhymes and his imaginative landscapes, you know, really, I think imprinted himself in my subconscious. And then Shel Silverstein is another one. A lot of my writing tends toward poetry for better or worse, <laughs> but I think the experience of reading Shel Silverstein or being read to by my parents and, and, getting these wondrous but slightly creepy rhymes um, stuck in my head. That that was another thing that really, I think, formed me as a creative person. As a parent, knowing what you know now, do you think you advise your children differently as far as like encouraging creative expression? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know if there's a way to do it right or wrong. I know I always feel like I'm maybe not <laughs> doing it the right way. I try to keep a fairly hands-off approach. I mean, giving encouragement, but not saying, oh, well, you should do this. Or maybe have you thought about drawing like this? Because I think really that spark has to kind of come from within. If I had the goal to make my sons or daughter, you know, a world famous cartoonist <laughs> by the age of, you know, 25 or something, I think that would just completely fall flat. So what's neat for me is they can see that I'm working on these things all the time. We have hundreds of books lying around the house and they can just soak that in and be in that environment. And then later in their teenage years or adulthood, if they decide, hey, this is something I'd like to pursue as a a hobby, as a career, as, as a passion, I'd be really flattered by that. If they decide, you know, that's neat, I enjoy it, but I don't want to do it, but but just read it for fun. I'd also be great with that too. So yeah, just not setting boundaries or constraints or expectations on that is, is what I've tried to do as a parent. What do you wish you knew back then about creating fully formed published books? Oh, can I ask your answer to this question before I give mine? Can, I, can you question. ask mine? Yeah. What is, oh. what is your answer to that question? Oh God. How long everything takes, mm-hmm. how, how it's a constant uphill, downhill. Like you feel like you're on a roller coaster. You're either the winner or you're the goat and not the greatest of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. The other kind of goat. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, very similar. I think when I started looking to get my work published, I, I thought everything had to happen instantaneously. And some of that is seeing the the instant gratification of if I, if I post a drawing online, I know exactly right away. Do people like it? Are they angry about it? Are they happy about it? Are they responding to it? Or do they not really care much? With publishing, it takes years for the book to get out. Once the book's done, it takes another year for it to actually appear on shelves. By then, you've almost forgotten about it. (laughs) And then you finally get to hold in your hand. It's this thrilling thing. But then you're like, okay, now I have to wait another few months before I actually can see what readers think about it. I've also had the experience where, especially with books coming out during 2020 and 2021, I never got to be in front of an audience and really see, okay, did this work? Did it not work? So you're very much... Yeah, like like you were saying, <laughs> in this roller coaster of, hey, that what I'm doing is really good. No, it's not, and not really seeing the immediate feedback for quite a long time. Ultimately, it is really gratifying to see your work bound and printed, and ideally on a bookshelf in somebody's house or in a bookstore. That's really cool, <laughs> but that's really not the main thrill of it, or or it shouldn't be. I have to keep reminding myself, okay, I'm doing this because I love the work. I love to be alone with my thoughts, my my words, and my pictures and not force the thrill of being in front of some future audience. 
Right. I did a book club this last week for the, the Junior League of Wichita, and it was for my first book. And they were asking questions. And I have to say, I was a little stumped on a couple of the questions because it had been so long since I had written the book. Both my books came out in 2021. But that first one, you know, once we did all the virtual things, it was like, okay, put that to bed. Now we work on the other one. And so they were asking questions. I was like, I've got to think about that again. Like a different to... person wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're asking, did I write that? <laughs> are we talking about the same book? Thinking of books, what are you reading now? Thanks for asking because I am for my book club um, that, I, that I do with some friends at church, reading War and Peace. Um, oh, and wow. I, I love the question because, you know, now I get to brag to people that I, I'm reading War and Peace. Now. <laughs> um, I, I've done a lot of like comic strips for the, the Times Book Review and for other publications joking about the classics, but there's always this anxiety because I, I never really have read many of the, the classic works of English literature in dental school. And when I started in engineering school, you, you just didn't have to read the classics. <laughs> so yeah, it's really cool, but also a little bit terrifying for me to go back as an adult and say, okay, now I'm going to take these works in the canon and plow through them and, you know, give my thoughts to them in front of my friends and stuff. So that it's, it's, it's been a fun process. How long are they giving you to read the book before the book club meets? So we're just reading the first part, or I, I think it's, I, I can't remember how many sections it's divided into. So it's not the entire 1,100 pages, but I like to be an overachiever. So I'm actually trying to finish the whole thing in the next couple of weeks, mainly because the book is due back at the library with no renewals. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have goals. Are there any other books that you've read in the last year or so that you'd recommend to listeners? Oh, yes. Now, I read a bunch of poetry. I read a bunch of picture books because that's in, in comics, because that's a space I work in. I've read less nonfiction. But when I find a great nonfiction book, I it has to be good because I just don't have that side of my brain working quite as much. I, I read a great one called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And it's a book of, I would say, philosophy with a little bit of self-help and social science psychology thrown in. But basically, it's the author grappling with the idea of, okay, I'll never have all the time I want to do all the things I want to do. Let's be okay with that. Let's uh, <laughs> let, let's take that and, and use it as a positive thing rather than a negative. And as somebody who's trying to do 10 things at all times and has all these great ideas for new projects and new books, has a busy job and a big family, um, yeah, I, I struggle with what should I be focusing on? What, what should I not be focusing on? And that book was really clarifying for me because it made me realize there's never going to be a perfect answer, but the answer I choose is the right one. Can you tell us what's next for you? So I'm looking forward to getting out in front of bookstore audiences this summer <laughs> for my new book, um, The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life. My next picture book is called One Boy Watching. It's based on my childhood experiences riding the bus to school in Mulvane, Kansas, going through the Kansas countryside. So it's probably the most autobiographical thing I've ever done. Although, sorry to say, I, I didn't include my twin brother, Gavin, in the book. That'd be too many characters to draw. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to hopefully getting in front of students and, and sharing that at schools with a very Kansas-specific focus. Then there's always new projects in the works. I do my weekly comic strip, Incidental Comics, and post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere else you can find it. And then finishing up another children's book set in Derby, Kansas. <laughs> and then... Uh, working on a new book of comics called Poetry Comics for Kids. And when do you think that'll be out? The picture book called Nothing Ever Happens on a Gray Day will come out about a year from now. And that's what I'm in the middle of doing today. It features a heron as one of the <laughs> plot points of the book, a, a blue heron. 
And oh, so I've been wow. really enjoying seeing all these herons around town. There's actually a couple that built a nest in a tree right outside my house. So that was a cool coincidence, just putting the finishing touches on the art for that book. And then for the poetry comics book, the materials due in about a year and it'll come out in about two years. And that's the first book of comics I've had a very clear idea of what it's going to be from start to finish rather than just throw a bunch together at the very end and, you know, make, make sure they fit. <laughs> so that's uh, both really exciting and a little bit anxiety producing for me, <laughs> but I think it'll be great. Just this last week, I saw two herons and I was like, they're coming back. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's great to live in a place with trees and I love watching the herons. As a kid, I was so obsessed with dinosaurs. It's almost the closest thing we have to a dinosaur, you know, flying around the neighborhood. Too, like I mentioned the landscapes of Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. I think he was in La Jolla, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you visit that area, like the trees look exactly like his trees. The, the houses look like that. It's not like he was, you know, just completely inventing this. It was what he saw every day and what he kind of soaked in and put it out in his art in his own weird way. And I think that's you know, what the best books and drawings and, you know, visual art do is take something that the artist is getting in front of them every day, filters it th- through their subconscious and makes it a little bit weirder, a little bit more interesting on the page. For someone who is maybe just starting to think about, well, you know, maybe I want to sit down and sketch or write a book. What would you tell them? As boring as it sounds, just to keep a consistent routine. So I think a lot of people are gripped by that burning desire to write a kid's book, to start a comic strip, and they work on it for a couple of weeks and it goes away and it never comes back. (laughs) So the great part is if you have a consistent schedule of, okay, I'm going to come up with this new idea, work on a new idea for, for this period of time, then come up with another one, then come up with another one. You'll get in a routine, you'll improve, you'll develop this great creative practice. But if you think lightning is going to strike and that great idea, your comic strip or your children's book is going to come to you instantly and just be perfect, you're probably going to be disappointed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a long but rewarding process to make books and to write and draw but it does take time to develop and you shouldn't be too committed to one idea. You should be committed to coming up with a bunch of great ideas and seeing what sticks. Thank you for taking the time today. Well, thanks, Chris. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. To learn more, visit grantsnyder.com or incidentalcomics.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.